You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. This case takes us back to April 2013, to the most populated city in Yolo County, California, Davis. Oliver Jennings Northup Jr., known to most people as Chip, was born in 1925 in Grand Island, Nebraska. He served in the United States Navy during World War II and also worked as an attorney. He loved law, but people said he was always pulling towards writing. He read a lot and loved memorising classic passages of literature, Chip loved the arts and had been playing guitar since his 30s, performing in different bands. He was also a founding member of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis. Claudia Maureen Maupin, born in 1936, was described by her daughter as a spiritual traveller, moving throughout different religions and denominations. But when she discovered the Unitarian Church, she felt an instant connection, so much so that she said to her daughter, My husband is at the Unitarian Church. And, sure enough, he was. Claudia met Chip there and they soon fell in love, marrying in 1996. Claudia became a pastoral associate at the church and, just like Chip, she loved performing and was very active in her local theatre. Her family said she had such a loving spirit and an ability to make everyone she encountered feel valued. Between the two of them, they had a big and loving family and Chip's daughter Mary said their families blended together effortlessly. Claudia had three children, and Chip had six, along with two stepchildren from a previous marriage. And they had 14 grandchildren and eight great-grandchildren between them. In 2013, the couple had been married for 17 years and were living in a condo in Cowell Boulevard. Their family said they were living an idyllic life, surrounded by so many people that loved them, living in a great community. Tragically, in April that year, Chip and Claudia's family and friends and the community would be left shattered by a truly frightening series of events. Daniel William Marsh was born on May 14, 1997. In 2008, Daniel made national headlines. He received an American Red Cross Heroes Award for saving his father, Bill's, life. Bill had had a heart attack and Daniel had used CPR to save him. But the same year, things would quickly start to unravel for Daniel. His parents began a tough and contentious divorce after it was discovered that his mother had had an affair with Daniel's former kindergarten teacher. Daniel was enraged with the woman his mother had had an affair with, and at 10 years old, he started having dark thoughts. He fantasised about killing his teacher by strangling her or slitting her throat. A year later, he told his therapist about the thoughts that he had been having, and how he was fascinated with the idea of torture. He told the therapist he wanted to make these fantasies a reality. He was diagnosed with adjustment disorder with depressed mood, and as he entered seventh grade, he started seeing a clinical social worker. In August 2010, he was prescribed one to two capsules of Prozac daily. Daniel entered his teenage years going back and forth between his parents' houses, who were now living apart. But when he turned 14, his dad threw him out for good due to his constant drinking and smoking, and he went to live with his mother permanently. In 2011, Daniel developed anorexia and was placed in an intensive outpatient program to help treat him. Following his release, he began taking Celexa, which was then switched to Lexapro, and then back to Prozac. 
he was also given antipsychotic medication. A doctor noted that Daniel had started having feelings of derealization, with his out-of-body experiences occurring numerous times a week. The more time went on, the more Daniel's violent thoughts manifested. Whenever he looked at a person, he thought about how he would kill them. He developed a fascination with a site called bestgore.com, promoting gore porn and other videos showing gory content, and Daniel started setting fires and harming animals too. He also became interested in serial killers, showing a particular fascination with Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy. According to one of his friends, Daniel strangled a cat in the street and said to his friends, I just wanted to. I just, I hated that cat. He then asked his friend if he could kill his dog too. Daniel confided in a school counsellor about his thoughts and, as a result, the police were called to the school. Daniel was involuntarily hospitalised and his medication was switched yet again. Daniel later told his school psychologist about wanting to kill his classmates, possibly even by way of a school massacre. When the counsellor asked if he would ever act on these feelings, he said, I have full confidence that I could hurt these people. Following this, a police officer was again brought to the school, but at this time it was determined that Daniel posed no danger to himself or others, and no further action was taken. Soon after this, Daniel had another meeting with the school counsellor, this time going into even more detail, describing how he wanted to peel people's skin off them and cut off their eyelids. He said that these fantasies only scratched the surface of his thoughts, and that he had given up fighting them. However, Daniel's statements were not disclosed to the authorities, because it was agreed upon that there was no identified victims. Daniel made no attempts to hide his disturbed feelings and impulses, and began divulging his secrets more and more. Friends of Daniel later recalled that he said if he killed anyone and got caught, he would simply claim insanity but Daniel's dark fantasies would soon manifest in a terrifying way. That morning, Chip and Claudia were unusually absent from their church. No one had heard from them, and their phone was ringing out. Later on, Chip failed to show up for a gig with his band. After nearly five decades as the guitarist and lead singer, Chip was never known to be a no-show. Chip's son Robert visited the couple's condo, but soon left, assuming the pair had simply gone out of town. But as the evening came around, and there was still no word from either of them, family members contacted the authorities requesting a welfare check be carried out. Claudia's daughter Laura, along with the police, went to the couple's home again. After ringing the doorbell and getting no answer, Laura went round the back. She and the officers found one of the windows open, with the window screen slashed. Looking through the bedroom window, they saw bloodstains. Police used a flashlight to look into the couple's bedroom, and tragically, the bodies of 87-year-old Chip and 76-year-old Claudia could be made out. They were found with over 60 stab wounds each, and their bodies had been mutilated. Inside Claudia's abdomen was a mobile phone, and a drinking glass had been put into Chip's body too. The Yolo County District Attorney said... It was the most horrific, depraved murder I've ever seen as the district attorney of this county. The appalling murders of such a beloved couple stunned the Davis community and left everyone in a state of fear and shock. Numerous task force investigators from different areas, including 25 FBI agents, jumped on board the case. However, no physical evidence could be found at the scene. There was no DNA, no fingerprints, 
and no footprints. Nothing of value appeared to have been stolen, and police weren't even sure if they were looking for one perpetrator or more. No one that knew the couple could think of any possible motive. The crime seemed incredibly personal, and officers wondered if the killer or killers were close to Chip and Claudia, possibly even having a key to the condo and cutting the window as a distraction. Oliver, Chip's grandson, was briefly looked at when police found out he had schizophrenia. Robert, Chip's son and Oliver's father, said as a family they faced two days of over 12 hours of questioning, but Robert said he knew his father would have wanted everyone to cooperate as much as possible, so they stuck it out without a lawyer present. When police searched Robert's home, they found that the carpet had been steam cleaned on the same day the couple had been killed. Something which Robert agreed, although didn't look good, was nothing more than bad timing. They also found a picture drawn by Tony, Robert's son, which depicted a man holding a knife, standing over two children in a bed. Chip and Claudia's family said that Tony and Oliver were so close to Chip, they both adored him and would never have acted in any violent way towards him or Claudia. The Northup family, Tony in particular, felt incredibly persecuted and as if the finger was being pointed at him. Even though Tony's name was eventually cleared, he still felt that many people had their doubts about him and this left him carrying a huge burden following such intense questioning and accusatory comments from so many people. Sadly, three years after the couple's deaths, Tony would take his own life. While the police were still working around the clock to solve the crime, the real killer was so proud of what they had done it didn't take long for them to start bragging about it to people. On the same day the couple were found, Daniel Marsh told a close friend that he had been the one to commit the horrific crime. The following day, he confessed again to more people. He asked his girlfriend if she had heard about what had happened to the couple, to which she said she hadn't. Daniel then also told her that he had done it, smiling and telling her how amazing it had felt and proudly giving her all the details. Daniel could not stop telling people, and in the days and weeks that followed, he continued to talk about it to anyone that would listen, saying that it was the best experience he had ever had. And if his confession wasn't enough, he showed a friend several items that linked him to the crime scene, including the knife, gloves, and the ski cap, boots and jacket he had worn that night. Daniel's friend and Daniel's girlfriend started speaking with each other about what Daniel had told them, They did not initially report his confessions to anyone else, as they were unsure if he was telling the truth, and, if he was being truthful, they were afraid of what Daniel might do. Disturbingly, Daniel's mood appeared to improve after the murders of Chip and Claudia, and he was even named Student of the Month. But just a short while later, one of his friends informed the school that Daniel was carrying a knife around with him. Following this, he was suspended. Daniel's girlfriend broke up with him, and, shortly after... Daniel crept into her house, leaving her fearing for her life. His ex-girlfriend confided in one of Daniel's friends about the incident, which prompted him to talk to Daniel's father, Bill. He told him about the murders and what Daniel had said, but Bill believed none of it. His friends finally contacted the police and spent several hours in the station telling them everything. The next day, on June 17th, a high school resource officer brought the now 16-year-old Daniel in for questioning. Daniel was interrogated by Detective Ariel Pineda and FBI Special Agent Chris Campion. Daniel's tune had drastically changed, and he spent three and a half hours crying and denying any involvement. 
you were there. Me? Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous? I'm a kid. But when Detective Pineda played a recording of a phone call between two other people, implicating Daniel in the crimes, Daniel's denials came to an end, and he started to confess. Look up on the computer and do research on psychopaths. Yeah. Why did you do that? Looked up sociopaths and psychopaths because I always found it fascinating, and the more I've aged, the more I can relate. Because I don't feel sympathy for other people at all. Don't feel empathy for them. And whether I like that or not, it's the way it is. It's just like, I want to hurt people. I want to kill people, but I don't want to want that. I wish it wasn't that way. Daniel admitted to leaving his mother's house with the intention of killing that night. He left between 2 and 3 a.m. armed with a six-inch knife and spent time wandering around the streets of Davis looking for open doors and windows. Daniel said he had found what he was looking for at 4006 Cow Boulevard, a residence just two doors down from where his dad lived. He cut open a window screen and crawled through the window. He waited in the living room until he heard the sounds of snoring coming from the bedroom, and then entered. It was at that point that Claudia woke up and saw Daniel and started to scream. Daniel started stabbing her in the torso, with Claudia begging for her life. Chip woke up too and Daniel then turned the knife on him. Daniel described continuing to stab the couple even after they had died, saying, It just felt right. He told the officers what he had done in gruesome and graphic detail, and told them all the evidence they needed was in his mother's garage. He had kept the bloody clothing and knife as souvenirs, and it was determined that he had put tape around his shoes to avoid leaving footprints. During his interrogation, Daniel said, It was pure happiness and adrenaline and dopamine, just all of it rushing over me. I'm not going to lie, it felt amazing. He said these feelings were only heightened when Chip and Claudia were conscious and resisting against the attack. Every time I look at someone, in my mind I see flashes of images of me killing them. Agent Campion then took an unusual route. Um, mentioned that pretty much everybody you meet you have thoughts about killing them and how you would kill them. Yeah. So, how would you kill me? There's a lot of ways. Um, choking you to death with your tie. Okay. Um, beating your face into the mirror until it broke and using the glass to cut your arteries. Uh, gouging your eyes out and just smashing your face into the wall. It's nothing personal. Daniel was charged with two counts of first-degree murder with special enhancements for intentionally killing more than one person, demonstrating exceptional depravity in the killings, lying in wait to kill the victims, and inflicting torture. He also faced enhancements for the use of a deadly weapon during the murders. From childhood hero to accused teen killer. And tonight, that 16-year-old is facing double murder charges for killing an elderly couple inside their Davis home. Rowena Shaddix is live in Davis and Row. The teenager will now be charged and as an adult. 
That is correct, Stephanie. Charged as an adult in this disturbing double homicide, first-degree murder charges will be filed officially tomorrow. And take a look at this. This is one of the homes that was searched yesterday by FBI. It belongs to the suspect's mother. No one has been home all day. A newspaper remains in the driveway reporting her son's arrest. They were asleep and it was peaceful and they didn't even know what happened. That's what Northrop's daughter Mary wanted to believe, but now with Daniel charged as an adult, along with disturbing enhancements of lying in wait and torture, forced the family to face some harsh facts. All the things that happened to them that we don't want to know. I'm sorry. Mary, whose father was a lawyer for the underdog, is certain her dad would want this. He would like to see this kid get justice to be properly represented. I know he wouldn't want him put to death, but I also know that he was a man who believed that people needed to pay for their crimes. Again, Daniel Marsh will be in court tomorrow for his arraignment charged as an adult. Daniel Marsh entered a plea of not guilty, but later changed this to not guilty by reason of insanity something officers were already anticipating. Daniel was set to be tried as an adult, although his juvenile status made him ineligible for the death penalty and life in prison without parole. The maximum sentence he faced was 52 years to life. Daniel's attorneys, two of the top public defenders, argued that the maximum sentence would constitute cruel and unusual punishment when imposed on a juvenile, but prosecutors were fighting hard for the maximum possible sentence to be issued believing nothing else would be appropriate. Assistant Chief Deputy DA Michael Cabral said that in the almost three decades he had been a prosecutor, he had never seen such a heinous and reprehensible act or a defendant with such an evil soul. Daniel's defence team called in a psychiatrist, Dr Matthew Sullier. When he first met Daniel, Daniel threatened to kill him. He found Daniel to be mentally ill, but sane and responsible for the crimes. Despite this, Daniel's attorneys pressed on with the insanity defence and filed a motion to suppress his June 17th confession, arguing that the interrogation began under false pretenses and that Daniel had made many requests to go home. His attorneys also argued that the various different medications Daniel had been prescribed over the years had had a huge effect on his violent thoughts and fantasies. But the prosecution maintained that when you looked at Daniel's medical records, he was having these feelings long before he was taking any medication. Daniel William Marsh's trial began on September 2nd, 2014. Daniel was now 17 years old, and the trial was being presided over by Judge David Reed. Davis, prosecutors say the man there with the tie, Daniel Marsh, hid in the couple's home, waiting for them and then torturing them in their final hours. KCRA 3's Kevin Oliver was in the courtroom today. Kevin, what can you tell us? Well, the courtroom was packed. There wasn't an empty seat in there. Sheriff's deputies actually brought Daniel Marsh in through a side entrance to the courthouse, a blocked entrance, and put a jacket over his head to hide him as he was brought in. He was kept separate from all of the other inmates, mostly because they're all adults. And even though he's being tried as an adult, he's still a juvenile, so he was kept at a distance from most everybody else in the courtroom. 
16-year-old Daniel Marsh stood before the court through a side doorway, shielded from view of the public, including his father and friends who were in court. Marsh provided one-word answers as he waived his right to a preliminary hearing within 10 days. The judge denied him bail and relatives of the victims could be heard whispering yes in agreement. The teen is accused of killing 87-year-old Oliver Chip Northrum and 76-year-old Claudia Maupin in April. Friends of Marsh said they saw him in the days before his arrest and had a hard time believing he could be responsible. He did have a lot of joy in his life and personally um, I couldn't ever see him doing what he's been accused of um, just from the side that I've seen from him. Prosecutors have not revealed the motive behind the double murder or any relationship between Marsh and the couple. Marsh's father did live near the couple until recently putting his home on the market. KCRA has decided to show the 16-year-old's face and release his name because he is being tried as an adult. Marsh's defense attorney had asked the judge to ban cameras from the courtroom. The judge denied that motion but did allow him to appear in a dress shirt and tie rather than customary jail clothes. Now, his defense attorney asked that he appear in regular clothing because they're concerned about the jury seeing him on TV, a potential juror seeing him on TV and in the newspaper in that jail clothes and the presumption by seeing that that he might be guilty. Daniel's attorneys claim that the side effects of the medication he had taken, combined with his mental health issues, triggered an uncontrollable rage and violence and rendered him temporarily insane. But the prosecution said that Daniel had carefully planned the murder and the entire event had been premeditated for a long time. Daniel's old friends and his ex-girlfriend all took to the stand to tell their sides of the story, and Daniel's old therapists and psychiatrist also spoke of their time working with and treating him. On September 26, 2014, after a five-week trial and less than two hours of deliberations, the jury had reached a unanimous verdict. Daniel William Marsh was found guilty on both counts of first-degree murder and all the special circumstances. The next big task of the jury was to determine whether Daniel was deemed sane or insane. Four days later, they had reached that verdict too. The jury found Daniel to be sane when he had committed the murders. Judge Reed sentenced Daniel to the maximum term of life in prison with parole eligibility after 52 years. He was given 25 years to life for each count of murder, plus two years for special enhancements. Judge Reed pointed out that Daniel was proud of his crime and mutilated the victim's bodies out of curiosity. He also stated that Daniel's actions were not recklessly impulsive. They were very much pre-planned and thought out. When Senate Bill 260 was passed regarding the sentencing of juvenile offenders, it meant that if the sentence given was less than 25 years to life... When the offender reached their 20th year of incarceration, they could be eligible for parole. If the sentence is greater than 25 years to life, eligibility for parole would occur in their 25th year of incarceration. California voters also passed Proposition 57 in 2016. This meant that judges in a juvenile court must decide whether a young offender be tried in an adult court or a juvenile one. Two years later, the Supreme Court in California ruled that this could be applied retroactively for cases that hadn't yet reached their conclusion. In February 2018, the California Court of Appeal conditionally reversed Daniel's 2014 conviction. It would now need to be decided whether he should continue to serve his adult sentence. A transfer hearing was held and prosecutors filed a motion to transfer him to an adult court, but the legal complexities surrounding the case continued to create many difficulties. 
Governor Jerry Brown signed Senate Bill 1391 into law. This meant that juveniles under the age of 16 could not be tried in an adult court. Senate Bill 1391 caused vocal opposition from both prosecutors and the family and friends of Chip and Claudia. In September 2018, the California District Attorney Association held a press conference urging the governor to veto the bill. The family of Chip and Claudia presented their cases and highlighted the damage Daniel had caused. And alongside this, prosecutors also wrote an open letter to Governor Brown, which read in part, Senate Bill 1391 eliminates the authority for a court to decide whether a 14 or 15-year-old charged with certain serious offences is unfit for the juvenile system. In reference to Daniel, it said he savagely tortured and murdered an elderly couple in their home and methodically planned his attack. It wasn't just the families of Chip and Claudia who were outraged. Citizens of Davis sent over 300 letters to the court stating their opposition to Daniel being remanded in the juvenile justice system. Upon signing the bill, Governor Brown said that there was a need for redemption and reformation where possible. There is a fundamental principle at stake here. Whether we want a society which at least attempts to reform the youngest offenders before consigning them to adult prisons, where their likelihood of becoming a lifelong criminal is so much higher, he said. He did note, however, that the testimonies he had heard from Chip and Claudia's family had weighed heavily on him. As the legal battles were being fought back and forth, a video was uploaded to YouTube. It showed Daniel Marsh giving a TED Talk from prison, entitled, Embracing Our Humanity. He detailed alleged abuse and difficulties he had faced in his life, and said that he was now a reformed character and should be given another chance. The video caused enormous hurt and distress to Chip and Claudia's family, as well as many others affected by Marsh's actions. The video was taken down by YouTube within two days of its upload, but it is still available to view on the internet. The takedown of the video was a small victory, the family said, but nothing compared to the legal battle that lay ahead. Daniel's defence team filed for a motion of continuance of the hearing for after January, This meant that by then, Senate Bill 1391 would be effective. Prosecutors hit back, however, saying that the case was being heard and dealt with with current law, not a law that was in the future and yet to come. Despite their best efforts, the defence's motion was denied and the hearing went ahead. During the hearing, Daniel took to the stand himself to state why he felt his case should be heard in a juvenile court as opposed to an adult one. In your prison records, you repeatedly tell your therapist you cannot remember the offense. Is that true? Uh, That's what I've told him, but it's not true. Why would you say that? Because I haven't wanted to remember it. Why not? Because it was unbelievably horrific and horrendous and it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around how I could have done something that awful and I guess I've just been afraid to actually face that. But the prosecution came in strong and as part of their case they called Matthew Logan to the stand. Matthew Logan was a forensic psychologist and an expert in psychopathy. He explained, on the psychopathy checklist, Daniel had scored 35.8 out of a potential 40. He said this was one of the highest scores he had ever seen.
The tension was palpable. Judge McAdam was about to read his decision. He ruled in favour of the prosecution. Daniel was remanded to state prison to continue serving his adult sentence. Judge McAdam said the risk posed by potentially releasing him was not one worth taking. There is virtually no chance that Marsh will be rehabilitated before he turns 25 years old, he said. Claudia's daughter Victoria voiced her relief, saying, It's not about getting justice for Mom and Chip. We got that in 2014. This hearing was about safety for our family and our friends and the community of Davis. Less than a month after this decision was reached, Daniel filed a writ requesting that the order of transfer be reviewed. The issue that had to be considered was had Judge McAdam abused his discretion by holding the hearing before the Senate bill went into effect. This writ was declined, but the legal battles did not stop there. On the 14th of December 2018, Daniel's team filed a petition requesting that the order denying the writ was reviewed. The petition raised the same issues as the writ itself, and on the 13th of February 2019, the writ was denied by the California Supreme Court. As the Senate bill was now in full force, his attorneys filed an appeal requesting that Daniel's conviction be overturned retroactively. Daniel Marsh murdered Oliver Northrup and his wife Claudia Maupin in 2013 when he was 15 years old. But a state law passed in 2018 prohibits anyone under 16 from being tried as an adult. And that could include him. 48 Hours correspondent Aaron Moriarty has been following the story for years. Aaron, good morning. We're still waiting on the court's decision in this case, and this is why it matters. There's a belief in this country, based on research, that young criminals can and should be rehabilitated. But California authorities say that Daniel Marsh may be an exception. Daniel Marsh, now 24 years old, is asking for an early release from prison. It's an appealable judgment under 1237. On Wednesday, his attorney Mark Greenberg argued before a remote panel of judges that Marsh should never have been tried and convicted as an adult, despite the horrific crime that he committed when he was just 15. Shell Newcomb argued Marsh's verdict was final in 2018 and he shouldn't be allowed to drag the victim's family through never-ending appeals. As Laura said, I am Victoria Hurd and I am the eldest daughter of Claudia Maupin. Daniel Marsh confessed and in 2014 was tried under California law as an adult due to the heinousness of his crimes. My family and I endured a five-week murder trial that led to his conviction and a sentence of 52 years to life. He is currently serving that sentence at Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, California. In 2008, a new law, Prop 57, granted Marsh a fitness hearing to determine if his sentencing should be revoked and if he should be, uh, be retried as a juvenile. While incarcerated, he had the crime images, my mother's wounds, tattooed on his body. This murderer has now appealed that decision and has asked to be retroactively considered under California law, SB 1391. The hearing date is set for August the 18th, 2021, in the California Court of Appeals. That is next week. This is our third time dealing with somebody who heinously murdered my parents. 
If he wins this appeal on August the 18th, he could be out on the streets of Davis as early as May 14th, 2022. He will be unsupervised, without parole, and his record will be sealed. He will have served eight years. The family of an elderly Davis couple murdered in their sleep, now breathing a huge sigh of relief. CBS 13's Marley Ginter just talked with them after yet another grueling court process. Marley, they've been through so much. Oh, they really have, Tony and Elizabeth. Grueling to say the least. They've spent the last several weeks on pins and needles waiting for this day. And this isn't the first time this convicted killer has tried to get out of prison early. Marsh was sentenced to 52 years to life, but had petitioned for his case to fall under SB 1391. That took effect after he was convicted and bars young teens accused of violent crimes from being tried as adults in the state of California. Well, an appellate court today ruled Marsh will remain in prison. I don't wish any ill on him, but I am grateful that he doesn't get to walk the streets again and that, our, that people can rest. There's so much fear around him. Now, Marsh would have been released on his 25th birthday. That's less than a year from now. Now, he'll serve out the rest of his sentence. Now, for some background, Senate Bill 1391 came about when the state legislature amended Prop 57 as part of juvenile justice reform. In September 2021, this appeal was dismissed by the 3rd District Court. Despite the numerous hearings, appeals and changes to the law, Daniel Marsh's sentence of 52 years to life still stands. But because he was convicted as a juvenile, he is still eligible for parole after 25 years. If he is successful, he will be in his early 40s. The impact of Daniel Marsh's actions were felt by so many people. Special Agent Chris Campion had interrogated Daniel and said that the idea of him ever being released from custody filled him with dread and that he is in the top three people he is most scared of. Campion believes that Daniel was, without a doubt, a serial killer in the making. For the family and friends of Chip and Claudia that already suffered through so much pain, the added angst and uncertainty surrounding the legal changes and Daniel's possible release weighed heavily on them. Claudia's daughter Victoria described the family as exhausted. But they let their presence be known and their voices be heard throughout the trial and at all the press conferences and hearings. They are still working hard to keep Chip and Claudia's names alive and will continue to fight to see that justice for the loving and caring couple continues to be served. Thank you.